3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job not just to entertain you, but to educate you, put this whole thing in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Cramer. Healthy employment, not a recessionary number. Fed still on the side of the bulls. Consensus in principle with China. What more could we want out of stocks? No wonder we reversed yesterday's loss and put on quite a show. With rallies in pretty much every sector, Dow gaining 301 points, S&P uh, climbing 0.97% to record levels. And NASDAQ, poll voting 1.13%, also a record. We spent the whole summer hearing experts warn that the economy was headed for a recession and the stock market toward a cataclysm. I told you that was probably nonsense. The United States is a consumer-led economy. And the consumer has been very, very strong. We have a weakened industrial base, collateral damage from the trade war, so the manufacturing economy needs the Fed to give it a boost. And that's exactly what happened this week, which is why today's rebound from yesterday's depressed levels makes perfect sense. All right, that's history. Can the run continue? I think it can. But let me tell you what would help. Let's start with Monday. On Monday, Shantanu Naraya, you've heard me speak of him and seen him many times on the show. He's always bankable CEO of Adobe. He holds what may be a seminal analyst meeting that could set the tone for the whole cloud court. These cloud stocks have been the biggest drag on the biggest sector in the market, and their weakness started when when Adobe reported a quarter that many people viewed as softer than expected. Well, I recognize that not all of Adobe's acquisitions have panned out so far. I believe Chantanu will clarify things. And when we see the situation more clearly, you know what we're going to discover? That Adobe's doing better than expected, or at least better than we heard last. You know what? If that happens, look out. This group is a coiled spring. We also find out about what's happening at Under Armour. I have to tell you, this one worries me. They got a new CEO, Patrick Frisk. I want to know if he's got, what vision does he have? I'm hoping to get more insight into why he's now in charge and not founder Kevin Plank, who was a friend of the show, is what, I should say, remains one. But uh, did the business get weak? Did the company seem to need a new strategy, a new go-to-market plan? Did Kevin Plank just get tired? I don't know. Let's find out. Lyft got a bit of a lift when it reported this week. Now I'm wondering if Uber's been able to pair its losses by leveraging the ecosystem, the one that also includes Uber Freight and Uber Eats, although the latter might be in rough shape given what we heard from Grubhub earlier this week. An upside surprise is surely needed. You know what? I think I'm going to talk about Grubhub later in the show because of the promiscuous diner. I, I think I've been at the diner, so I got exit 53 on the LAE. Does the Fed need to tap on the gas pedal again? Well, let's hear what David Farr has to say, the CEO of Emerson, the giant manufacturer, when he talks on Tuesday. I think Farr has done a terrific job of navigating this newly treacherous, tariff-driven world. His stock is up nearly 20% for the year. For an, that's pretty impressive for an industrial. However, I'm betting he'll describe an environment that's tough to triumph over, which, again, verifies what the Fed did. That same morning we hear from Peloton, and i got to believe this company can blow away the numbers. I mean, this year's crop of IPOs has been one of the weakest and most miserable in recent memories. Just today, Pinterest saw its stock get obliterated after it said it didn't grow fast enough. Peloton's in desperate need of redemption. It could actually help the whole IPO cohort if it says something good. If it, it doesn't run the picture of my wife's Peloton with the un, Under Armour and the... the uh, her bra and I mean, the towels. It's your the towel. It's happy birthday, Lisa. And I didn't mean that <laughs> at all. I, I, I didn't. It's really Lululemon stuff that hangs from it. On Wednesday morning, we hear from C.V., that's Victor S., and this is one of the cheapest stocks I follow, selling for just over nine times the year's earnings. That's absurd. I think, uh, let's see if the market agrees with me. When CEO Larry Merlot gives his take on the quarter. The fast food group has been roiled ever since Wendy's announced it was getting into the breakfast business. 20,000 people being hired. McDonald's got slugged on the news, and then it got hit again after reporting a pretty good quarter that was broadly disliked by the analyst community, but kind of, I didn't think so bad. As for Wendy's, we don't really know enough about their plans or their pricing. Still, I like this stock since it was trading in the mid-single digits, and that was because my wife liked the Baconator. She actually likes the double cheese Baconator. Once again, happy happy birthday to Lisa. Um, I bet that this, this company's going to report good numbers, uh, and just as important, McDonald's will stop going down on this same darn competition story. After uh, close Wednesday, we get results from Qualcomm. The telco semiconductor plays have been on a rampage ever since Apple reported fabulous numbers this week, and then the Chinese rolled out 5G last night. Some of my faves, like Corvo, Skyworks, and yes, Qualcomm are on rolls. I expect to see some terrific reports from Qualcomm, both earnings and sales. On the other hand, we also hear from Square. Let's spend some time on this. I worry that, uh, this is one I usually don't say, but I worry that I like the stock of Square too much. There are so many competitors in the payment space, I wonder after the Twitter debacle, you know, that big shortfall, isn't it time for Jack Dorsey who's also the CEO of Square to just pick one company and stick with it? When the amazing Sarah Fryer was at Square as the chief financial officer, the stock soared. In the years since she left, it's become a total dud. I bet the stock would get its groove back if Dorsey would simply hand over the reins or commit to being CEO full-time. One or the other, Jack. Dexcom reports, too. And I bet this maker of glucose monitors that comes on the show all the time for diabetics delivers some far more superior numbers than anybody's thinking. Today, Alphabet bought Fitbit, the down-and-out maker of fitness trackers, James Park. Congratulations. I think they should do the same thing with Dexcom and then wrap it up with Fitbit to give you a truly integrated healthcare business. Are you sick of hearing about the cost of these new entertainment uh, services? I hope not, because, oh, Disney's going to report on Thursday. And, I'm while, and while I want them to talk about new theme park attractions and new movies, I know everyone's going to be focused on streaming packages. I'm focused on lightsabers. We have to remember why these new platforms are so important. There's little growth without them because of the subscriber losses in the cable business. I still like Disney here and have for years for my travel trust. I'm going to, my trust is going to own as long as I the CEO. Uh, speaking of entertainment, video entertainment games are still fabulously, uh, doing fabulously well. But the one that matters is Take-Two Interactive. Strauss, Zellenich, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to ask, you know, I've got to find out about NBA 2K. I mean, is, has that gotten hurt because of what happened with China? Don't we need to know about that? I mean, when it reports, we're going to find out. And I bet the CEO will tell us if Adam Silver's courageous stance in favor of the First Amendment is playing any role in sales for NBA 2K, see what else we've got. You know, on Friday, on Friday, I'm actually worried. I'm worried. Why? We're going to hear from Magna. Magna is the largest auto parts player, and we need to know, because we can't tell from Ford or GM what's really going on. Let's listen to what Magna has to say. Maybe they will tell us. We're talking about weak sales, rising tariffs. The automakers just don't know, but Magna will, and that's what we're going to find out. See, next week is an important week, not as important as this week when it comes to earnings, but it's certainly going to take us to where we have to go which is more record highs if everything works out. Let's take questions. I think we should go to Andrew in Alabama. Andrew. Jim, how's your boo-eye day today? It's good, man. It's good. I see U.S. Steel was up quite a bit today. Do you think the
2: of recovery in the prices no, due to the... No, no,
3: no, and then also no. Right, we don't want to own letter X, okay? We're not going to own letter X. Uh, if we have to own a steel company, we're going to own a Nucor. How about Fady in Illinois? Fady! Hey, Jim, how are you? Big booyah. Booyah back. I was wondering about Citigroup. Uh, it's been, like, been, uh, like, been hovering around like, 70. like, 73, still on it. Michael Corbett, good man, CEO, buying back stock, inexpensive, one of the cheapest stocks in the market. Now, I think this positive action can continue. Good earnings would help. I see that coming. And I'm mad tonight. With news this week that the Fed is cutting rates, I'm eyeing one sector that's been a key beneficiary of the move, the home builders. I'm also going to find out the group has been able to power higher this year and can still do so. Then, after Grubhub's latest quarter, should the company rename itself Grubflub? And it's a company that works with Alaska Airlines, Spotify, Kramer Face Spotify, and the New York Times. You may have never even heard of it. I'll reveal it when I turn in my homework. So stay with record breaking market and stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC.
0: constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indeed.
3: The home builders are caught fire this year. We know that, especially over the last couple of months, they've been red hot. And today's terrific jobs report certainly doesn't hurt. But earlier this year, before interest rates plummeted, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of confusion about exactly where housing was going. Back at the beginning of March, we ran off and we had this thing. It was a face-off. Analysts against analysts. Hitting the bulls with the bears against each other on the home building stocks. After tallying up the evidence, I told you to believe the bulls. Because Ivy Zellman, the CEO of Zellman and Associates, and the best housing analyst on Wall Street, was making arguments that I thought were too compelling to ignore. She said the home builders were set up for a fabulous year and it just turns out that she completely nailed it. So now that the home builders have soared into the stratosphere, it's time to declare victory, I think. Try to figure out where this group might be headed next. First though, I need to remember the context of Zellman's incredible call. After rallying hard uh, beginning in 2017, the home peaked in early 2018, and then they spent nearly all of last year working in their way lower, thanks to rising raw costs, especially lumber, but also labor, and a series of lockstep interest rate hikes from the Fed that were ill advised. But as the stock market rolled over in the fourth quarter, the sector finally bottomed. Then in January, Fed Chief Jay Powell realized the error of his ways, taking a much more dovish tone, which turned everything around. After rallying for a couple of months, though, the homebuilders paused at the beginning of March. All right, Uh, That's when we took a closer look at the industry. We said, you know what, what do we make of the stocks now? Uh, We were focusing on some very bullish research from Zellman and Associates and a much more bearish view from J.P. Morgan. Zellman's argument, she pointed out that the estimates for the home builders had gotten low enough to be beatable. That's the holy grail of the upside surprise. And she also said her channel checks revealed positive momentum and great order activity through early March. Basically, the bar had been lowered and things were finally improving, which meant the estimates could be beaten. And yes, it meant that the analysts would have to raise their forecast, which is exactly what you need. All aboard. I told you to believe Zellman because she's the axe in the homebuilders. The analyst who understands this industry better than anyone else. That's that term axe. is a term of art on Wall Street. It means the one you should really listen to. At the time, she was making a major contrarian call. And the great thing about being a contrarian is that when you're right, you tend to be very, very right. Since we checked in on her research in March, the S&P Home Builders ETF, the XHB, is up more than 20%. And the best of the homebuilders are up much more than that. You had to believe the axe because the reality of the situation turns out to be more bullish for the home builders than anyone expected except for maybe Zillman. First long-term interest rates collapsed. The benchmark 10-year U.S. Treasury currently yields just 1.72%. That's insanely low by historical standards, even as it's up nearly 30 basis points from its lows over the summer. Around this time last year, the 10-year was at 3.25%. Borrowing has gotten much cheaper. Right now, you can get a 30-year fixed mortgage for just 3.8%, and that is a huge boom for the home makes a home much less expensive on top of that. Federal Reserve has now given us three rate cuts this year. They they just did it again on Wednesday, which was exactly what we needed to breathe new life in the economy. That's one reason why the consumer economy is so strong and the job market's still humming. Plus, there's the wealth effect. a higher stock market, which we sure have it for these records, right, it means people have more money to spend on big-ticket items like houses. The Dow, the S&P, and the Nasdaq are all up more than 20% for the year, and that is a major wealth halo for this economy, and we don't talk about it enough, because you'd think, well, how can people be so flush if wages aren't going up? Well, you know what? They do have 401Ks, they do have IRAs, they do own stocks, and that's how we got this flood of mortgage applications. By August, we also started picking up a flood in refinancing activity, and a serious inflection in actual home sales, something the bears just didn't see. (laughs) Meanwhile, the slowdown in the global economy has been fabulous for the domestic home builders because it put real downward pressure on commodity costs. Building a house is a lot cheaper than it was a year ago. Steel, aluminum, most importantly, lumber, all cheaper. Put it all together, and you got a recipe for a spectacular run for the home builders. Since the end of July, D.R. Horton up 16%, KB Homes up 38%, Lennar Pole Vaulting 28%, Pulting Group jumped 27%, Taylor Morrison gained 11%. Toll Brothers up 13 tier, uh TriPoint Group rallied more than 15%. However, most of these gains are from August and September. In October, many of these stocks, well, let's just say they stalled, okay, uh, or at least it, uh, decelerated a bit. We'll go back to the chart here, but that's why we wanted to check back in with Ivy Zellman and her team at Zellman Associates because the axe was so right. In mid-September, Zellman published a proprietary home building survey for August, which showed the biggest surge in year-over-year order growth in more than four years. In response, Zellman raised her price targets for the home builders by 7% on average. You pay more for stocks when you expect better growth. And how good could these numbers get? I'll give you a little snippet that I read. Quote, we estimate at least 500 basis points of upside potential to our current estimates of 9% aggregate order increase for the the publics. Period, uh, then, end quote. Meaning, we're talking about order growth in the mid teens. In other words, in September, Zellman was confident the home builders had a lot more room to run. Since then, things have only gotten better. About three weeks ago, Zellman published another note titled, quote, Raising Third Quarter Builder Order Estimates, end quote. After the terrific results from KB Homes and Lenar, she's now predicting 15% order growth across the whole group this quarter. That's incredible. No wonder that's economy strong, the domestic economy. That's up from just 7% last quarter. She notes that pricing trends are improving, which is start to boost margins for the homeowners perhaps as soon as the current quarter. However, the stocks have run. So Zellman warned that we may get some near-term profit-taking during the earnings season. She says not to worry. Any pullback should be short-lived. Sure enough, in the past few weeks, there's been some profit-taking in the homeowners, and I think you need to treat this as a buying opportunity. I am, as you know, a big fan of Lennar, have been ever since. Uh, I worked with Leonard Miller when I was at Goldman Sachs. Uh, he's no longer with us, but uh, Stu Miller is uh, when I, in the 1980s. I mean, this is I, the second largest player. Uh, it's an incredibly good home builder. Uh, reported an awesome quarter just a month ago. Stock selling at just 10 times earnings. That's crazy. I like J.R. Horton, one of Zelman's faves, which reports the week after next. I expect good things. Toll Brothers, the high-end home builder, reported great numbers in August, but it was actually down for October. Now trades at just ten times earnings. Normally, such a low multiple means Wall Street doesn't believe the earnings estimates will be made. I think that's absurd. Tolls a buy before the report again in December. Finally, you might want to consider Taylor Morrison. Earlier this week, they reported a solid quarter that Wall Street considered underwhelming, and the stock got hammered. Now we had CEO Cheryl Palmer on the show not too long ago. I thought she told a terrific story. Eight times earnings bye. The bottom line, Ivy Zellman and her team at Zellman Associates knocked it out of the park when they called for a housing rally back in March. And now that the home builders have pulled back from their highs, I think you're getting a chance to pounce again. Zellman still likes it. So do I. It's different. Kramer.
2: You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
1: This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is
3: November may have gotten off to a strong start. S&P and NASDAQ closing at record high. So didn't some hedge fund managers the other day tell us we had to get out and scare us? That was a long time ago, I guess. Earlier this week, it was a different story for one particular stock, Grubhub. Grubhub reported a horrific quarter, and the stock got annihilated, losing 43% of its value on Tuesday in a poor market, 43%. Now, it was a savage decline, and I, I got to tell you, this is how you really lose money in the stock market. But I was not surprised by the results. Uh, I was more, I guess what I could say, though, is I was surprised by how many analysts were blindsided by the results. These numbers were entirely predictable, which I know for a fact because I predicted them. For months, I've been warning you away from this one the whole food delivery business. Over and over again, I told you there's just much too much competition. Grubhub may have, been, have pioneered the online delivery business model, but now they've got smaller venture capital-backed rivals with tons of money nipping at their heels. And the competition is happy to lose money if it means taking market share away from Grubhub. That's why I started telling you to get out of Grubhub back in February when the stock was trading at 83, up 50 bucks from where it's currently trading. I reiterated that point in July. Every time I mentioned some industry that's facing new competition, I cited Grubhub as an example of what happens when a bunch of venture capital funds decided to pour money into their, their rivals. I thought we just reiterated this when Domino's came on the show and we talked about the idea that delivery is just too prevalent. See, so it didn't shock me to see Grubhub breaking down earlier this week like this. is Exactly what I expected. No, what shocked me was how Wall Street analysts had taken the wrong side of the trade here. When Grubhub reported and the stock tanked, get this: the analysts raced to downgrade this thing and slashed their estimates. We counted no fewer than a dozen downgrades on Tuesday into Wednesday. Right here, thank you for nothing. Some of the price target cuts were they were they were were downright comical to be honest. Uh, Mizzouha went from 100 to 35. They love this stock in the 50s. They hate it in the 30s. Don't get me wrong. They are right to downgrade. It's a thing. The timing is what I find questionable. How the heck did the analysts who cover Grubhub professionally, professionally fail to see this coming? I called this almost nine months ago. It's not like I'm a super genius with success with access to proprietary information. I admittedly I co-owned two restaurants. But you didn't need to get in the food industry to figure out that Grubhub was going to tank. That's what happens when you have a bunch of well-funded competitors who don't particularly care about turning a profit. But I guess that wasn't as obvious as it seemed, because only one analyst had a sell ready on Grubhub going into the quarter. Everybody else is blindsided. How is that possible? First, let me walk you through what happened here. Then I'll figure, we'll figure out where the analyst went wrong. Going into the quarter, Grubhub stock had already been hammered. Then the company reported, and the actual results really weren't that terrible. Grubhub gave you an inline earnings number with a weaker-than-expected revenue number, up 30% year-over-year. Active diners and daily average users came in a little bit better than anticipated. Gross, margins, uh, gross food sales were a little worse. No, what created the stock was the guidance and the commentary surrounding the whole company on the conference call. Grubhub guided for three hundred and fifteen to three hundred thirty five million dollars in sales next quarter. The analysts were looking for three hundred and eighty seven million. That's a huge miss. They talked about fifteen to twenty five million in earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Fifteen. The analysts were looking for seventy nine. Seventy nine million. This is terrifying. As for next year, management refused to even give concrete numbers, but their commentary was dismal. From 2020, they said they're expecting at least $100 million in earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. That's a catastrophic number. Going into the quarter, the analysts wanted to see $342 million of EBITDA for next year. No wonder the analysts had to slash their estimates. Again, this is all about competition eating at the Grubhub's market share and forcing them to give restaurants better deals. Now, management said that their margins will eventually turn around as the, quote, the discretionary spend associated with these initiatives naturally declines and we create operating leverage as we grow, end quote. But not many people believe them because they've been saying the same exact thing all year. When I told you to sell the stock back in February... Well, I mean, i got to tell you, uh, they were reassuring us that their investments would, quote, naturally decline, end quote, in the second half of the year. How's that working out? As bad as the guidance was here, the letter to shareholders, frankly, was worse. Well, Bob's management just sounded lost in the letter. I mean, I, I wish someone had proofread or something or, like, just edited it. It it was amazing. It was as though they'd only just realized that all of this competition from uh, Postmates and Uber Eats and DoorDash was ruinous. Listen to this, quote, We believe online diners are becoming more promiscuous. For years, uh, saw in our own data that a Grubhub diner was extremely loyal to our platform. However, our newer diners are increasingly coming to us already having ordered on a competing online platform, and our existing diners are increasingly ordering from multiple platforms. End quote. Where do I even start? For years, Grubhub had no serious competition. Of course their customers used to be loyal. They didn't have a choice. That's no longer the case. But we already know Grubhub was in bad shape before we found out that it had promiscuous diners. I guess they got rid of that the thesaurus. You know, there's like other words I think might have been better there. I can think of them like maybe a diffident. Would that work? Or, or uh, uh, I don't know, um, quizzical? I don't know. What I didn't realize is that the analysts who covered this thing were so clueless. Going to the quarter, 20 out of 30 analysts who followed Grubb had buy ratings on the stock. Nine neutrals, only one sell. After the downgrade, well, after the quarter, the bulls downgraded a mess. Where did they go wrong? Promiscuous. I got to give it, uh, I, I, let me give a, 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 a somewhat of an attaboy to Heath Tariq Goldman Sachs. He gets right to the point in the first sentence. We got it wrong. He's, he elaborates then. We significantly underestimated the impact of competitor investments on customer behavior across the space while overestimating both the potential for industry-wide growth and Grubhub's ability to maintain share, end quote. Tom Fort at DA Davidson was even more honest, quote, We gave management too much credit for its ability to, one, assess competitive pressure and make the necessary adjustments to its go-to market strategy in a more timely manner, two, monetize its increasing chain restaurant delivery efforts in a more profit-friendly way, and three, manage Wall Street's expectations for near-term operating results, end quote. When you look at some of the double downgrades, that yeah, means they took it from buy to sell, uh, it, they sound almost indignant that Grubhub's competitors are chasing market share at the expense of profits. Pack of America, quote, the food delivery market is increasingly irrational as competitors flood the market with rewards and incentives, end quote. And they've, they've upset, they're upset that Grubhub's embracing the same strategy. But Grubhub doesn't have any choice. they got to be in business. The most common refrain here is that the industry is much more competitive than they believe, led to believe. It's like they never used any of these online delivery services. I mean, maybe the analysts, I don't know, but they catered? What do they do? They only go out to dinner? Anyone who been paying any attention at all would tell you this was coming. I think Grubhub's management was clueless, though. And most of the analysts who covered the stock were way too credulous. The people running the company have been living in a fantasy land. but A promiscuous fantasy land. It might be interesting. It's like that thing. What is it, Pinocchio? Where was that thing you... Pilkey you know went to Fantasy Island. Is uh, totally. But somehow they convinced most of the analysts it was real. Perhaps helped by the prospect of playing a role in bringing a big fish like Postmates or DoorDash, the largest, into uh, the IPO shoot at their at their own uh, corporate finance department. But not all the analysts. There was this one guy who was real smart. There was a guy to sell on. It. His name is Deepak Mathavanen. I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, Deepak. He's from Barclays. Of course, he had a sell on the stock since January of 2018, though, so he did miss the major rally before the downturn. But it turns out he wasn't wrong. He was early. Bottom line: sometimes uh, what you see in your day-to-day life, what your eyes see, is far more helpful than what you hear from the analysts on Wall Street. When it comes to online delivery, Postmates, Uber Eats, and DoorDash, they're everywhere. And they're offering great deals. You only had to use their services and believe your own eyes rather than listen to Grubhub's clueless management team and their equally deluded analyst acolytes. Non-promiscuous acolytes. Colton in Florida. Colton. Hey, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. Thanks Booyah. for having me on. Oh, yeah. I want to get an updated opinion on Chipotle, uh, despite that great earnings report. You know, someone on Twitter, uh, someone on Twitter earlier this evening asked me what I thought because they acknowledged that the stock's been down a lot. Well, here's what I have to say: it was the number one performing stock going into this earnings season. And now, I'm like Lambert Search is doing as well. I think you buy it into this pullback. I think I think it's a buy. I, 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 look, there's a big uh, Wendy's support next week. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. Right? don't ignore your gut. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Well, Bob's awful quarter was predictable, just not by the analyst. But if you trusted your gut, you avoided a lot of pain. Hey, much one man money head. Good news if your dog ate your homework. I did it for you, and it could help you make some money. Ben, I'm asking all my old business professors to cover their ears. Tonight I'm telling you why it's time to throw away the economics textbooks. Hey, I had some great professors. I had Otto Eckstein, I had Ken Arrow. Hey, these guys are like, they're like, what do you like, the prize in you know? It's like Nobel Prize. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. You know, on this show, whenever I get a call about a company I'm not that familiar with, I always promise to do some research and then circle back with a more considered response. I don't like to cuff things here. I take your questions seriously, so I want to give you the best answers that I can come up with. With that in mind, let's catch up on some homework. Now, A little over a week ago, on October 24th, Chris in Ohio stumped me when he asked me about a company called Fastly, that symbol FSLY. I told him I needed to do some digging Uh, Candidly, the moment he said Fastly, I thought of Nicely Nicely, the character from Guys and Dolls that I tried out for at Springfield High and got cut and didn't get it, and I never forgave the director. Still furious to this day. Anyway, Fastly Fastly is a cloud-based applications delivery software company that came public with a bang. And back in May, Fastly helps companies to quickly deliver online content. Okay, what does that actually mean? I'll give you some examples. Alaska Airlines uses their platforms to test new features on the website and mobile app without disrupting things for the vast majority of users. Spotify, a company you know we like, and the stock's starting to go higher, designed a managed content delivery network. Basically, Fastly helps to ensure that you can book flights, or go to events, or simply stream content over the web in the most seamless way possible. When new tickets go on sale on Ticketmaster. Fastly helps them make, you sh- make sure they're not offering you outdated information as more and more tickets get sold. In an environment where everyone's chasing new digital experiences, you have to be able to deliver content reliably and, and at speed. Otherwise, users are just going to go somewhere else. And that's why businesses bring in someone like Fastly. It makes them better. Not so many of these cloud companies do that. Now, this stock had a very strong debut when it came public in May. I mean, the pr- price is 16 bucks. okay? Then the stock opened at 21.50 on its first day of trading and then closed over at here at 24. All right. However, since then, look at this thing. I mean, it's been a real, real wild trader. After bouncing along in the low 20s for most of the summer, fastly reported an imperfect quarter in August, and the stock promptly got obliterated. It's, it went all the way down from 24 to 14 so that's sometimes when you call and you say, "Listen, I got a big speculative stock. I'm afraid of that happening." The results really weren't all that terrible, but they also weren't the kind of numbers you want to see in a fast-growing software company that's right out of the gate. Fast reported a wider-than-expected earnings loss, with its sales coming in only slightly higher than anticipated, up 34 percent year over year. The company's dollar-based net expansion rate—that's an important metric for cloud enterprises—tells you how much business they're winning from existing customers. Well, it's accelerated slightly to 132 percent. But Fastly's total customer count was only up about 6.4 percent. Now that's a market deceleration—deceleration deceleration of adding customers. Doesn't that sound a little like Pinterest this morning? Anyway, the same was this one was basically in line. So was Pinterest, for that matter. Wall Street wasn't looking for in line. Wall Street was looking for a huge upside surprise. Solid quarter, but for a fresh face cloud IPO that had rocketed higher on the first day of trading, Solomon wasn't good enough. And that's why Fastly got poleaxed, although it didn't help that we also started seeing a major rotation out of the cloud cohort. Investors suddenly became wary of fast-growing companies with no earnings and high-flying stocks. However, Fastly quickly bottomed right here in mid-August after Piper Jaffray initiated coverage on the stock with an overweight rating and $21 price target. They argued that the pullback was an enticing buying opportunity, and immediately the stock took off. It was a very well reasoned piece. I remember when it came out, just had forgotten when I was doing the lightning round. Uh, from August 15th to September 15th, this thing surged from 13 to 35. This was an insane move, okay? I wish I could tell you that there was something else propelling this higher, but it seemed like the institutional sponsorship kicked off a wave of buying, and then that led to, yes, a major. Short squeeze. That's what this is really depicting. People couldn't find the stock who were selling it. In other words, they're borrowing stock to sell it. That's what you have to do. And then couldn't find enough stock to meet the demands of the buyers. Move didn't last. After peaking in early September, Fastly came right back down. Oh, and Piper Jaffrey downgraded the stock to neutral in a few weeks ago, so maybe we shouldn't dwell on that weird spike. Again, the cloud stocks have been out of favor, so Fastly's worked its way down to $20 and changed as of today. This is one of those stocks, by the way, at the top of the show, I said that if Adobe has a good analyst meeting, it's going to move them. This stock goes like this if Adobe says good things on, on Monday. So how do I feel about it? I don't love it. When you compare Fastly to the other cloud plays, even the other members of the class of 2019, many of which are truly 2nd rares, also-rans, and posers, the numbers are far from incredible. 30%-plus revenue growth is nice, but you got companies like CrowdStrike and ZoomVideo that were both going at 100%-plus clip at the time of their IPOs. Fastly has okay growth. It's not profitable. And their first quarter as a public company was a mild disappointment, and that shouldn't happen. Remember, when we analyze these cloud plays, we like to use something that's called the rule of 40. Okay, I'm going to explain it to you again. It's so because it's not hard. All right. You add a company's revenue growth, okay, to its profit margin. And if the sum is greater than 40, the stock might be worth owning. In other words, we like cloud plays with rapid revenue growth, even if they're losing money. We like cloud plays with slower growth as long as they're extremely profitable. And we like cloud plays with Good, but not great revenue growth, and good, but not great profitability. I mean, you can all, those are the whole thing. It makes sense, believe me. But Fastly doesn't fall into any of these categories. The company's expected to put up 30% revenue growth next year. Okay, 30, remember that number. In this industry, that's a good, but not great number. And it's losing money. The negative 9% EBITDA margin, that's earnings for interest, tax depreciation, and amortization, uh, that adds up to what? Okay, it adds up to 21%. I mean, we need 40 in order to feel good. That said, the company is reporting earnings again next Thursday. Maybe they can turn things around. I'm not going to bet on it, though, especially not when you consider that the lockup on insider selling expires later this month, something that's been deadly for all of these cloud IPOs. I think Fastly is a fine company, but it's not compelling enough to be worth buying ahead of those two high-risk events. I just can't get excited about this one when there are other beaten-down cloud names that we know are doing much, much better. Alteryx, Remember Alteryx? A, that's A L T E R Y X. They just roared higher today after reporting a fantastic quarter last night. Outer got game. They are positively 49er like with accelerating revenue growth and Super Bowl possibilities. Forget Fastly. If you want cloud exposure, there are a heck of a lot better opportunities. Mad Money is back after the break. First, before we get started, I want to wish a happy birthday to Dr. Roy Dodson, a great fan of the show. Happy 90th, sir, and thank you for watching. And now it is time. It is time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? The lightning round. Because we're going to start with Craig in Illinois. Craig. Hey, Mr. Kramer. Yes. Happy holidays to you and all. What's going on? I wanted to inquire about Arbor Realty. Well, you know, look, it's, a, it, it's had a move. It's up 40%, and I don't like the specialized real estate financing business because I don't really know what they own. Congratulations to people who've owned it, but I don't have enough inside knowledge of what it does in order to be able to make a judgment. Ken, in Minnesota, Ken!
0: How are you, Mr. Kramer? I'm good. Thank you so much for all you do for all of us out here Cray America. Ah, thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it very much. I was wondering if you could speak for a minute about CrowdStrike.
3: I mean, it's new. It's good. I like the company, but I prefer... Look, Fruit point just reported a good quarter last night. I actually think, let's go with what just made a great number, a great, uh, great quarter. And, and CrowdStrike's part of this poser group of a... Uh, but it's part of the new cohort, and they're not doing that well. Bill in Florida. Bill. Hey, Jim. This is Bill. Congratulations on giving all small investors a chance in this market today. Well, remember, we tell small investors to own Apple. Don't trade it. Happy birthday, Tim Cook. Go ahead. <laughs> yes, uh, I took position in Nokia right before their earnings report. And I yeah. should have probably waited. The stock really <laughs> did a dive. Yeah, Bill, I got to tell you, the problem, Nokia, Nokia, in order to be able to catch up to Huawei... It has to just kill its margins. Uh, and that's killed the stock. And I don't have much hope for Nokia or Ericsson over the next 18 months. 5G's here to stay. If you want to play 5G, you do it with Skyworks. Maybe you do it with Corvo. Or most importantly, with Marvell Tech, which should be a 30 soon. Ah. Patrick in Kentucky. Patrick! city City are Jim. Nice. What's up? What do you, what do you think of Catalan? I like Viva in that space, okay? Uh, for development, for development of drugs, I like Viva. I like uh, Charles River Labs too. I know they're not exactly comparable, and someone on Twitter's gonna say, "Jim, if you knew this, or you knew that," but I do know. Okay, let's go to New. York. Let's go to Max in New York. Max. Hey, Jim. Max calling New York. How are you? I am good. How are you, Max? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for taking the call. So you were talking about it this morning. You're talking about it all day. There's a huge transition into cyclicals from defensives. Yes. Like, uh, co- let's take uh, Coca-Cola. Okay, look, coca is kinda of doing nothing I know. Actually, I actually prefer Starbucks. I don't know if you heard Kevin Johnson this morning. I thought he told a really good story. I think it's better. Coke's fine. Starbucks is better. And that Legend of the Lightning Round.
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
3: Don't be stupid. Babooyah. Babooyah back. This stock's no chicken. I'm flying through the corner with wing stocks. Ah! I am ready, ski dad. That's not nothing. It's not a nothing bird. It just skips the cow. It's like, you know, here, right to your plate. Not here, the cow, and then your plate. Got it? Mm-hmm. I did the Kramer versus Kramer end very badly. I'm here to try to help you make money, not pop the ball. Needs ghost. Oh, push it up. Much more man, money ahead. It's my darn show. Now that was some TV. I'm starting to wonder. I'm starting to wonder. wondering if everything we thought we knew about macroeconomics is wrong. Okay, great, it's been a long time since I've taken an economics class, but so much, 40 years, but so much of what I was taught simply doesn't fit with what we're seeing right now. For example, back in the day, they liked to tell us about the Phillips curve, the idea that there was an ironclad relationship between unemployment and inflation. When unemployment is low, it's supposed to cause an intolerable level of inflation. To be fair, no one uses the Phillips curve anymore, but the models they replace it with, they don't seem to be working either. As the job market booms, wages start to rise, and that wage inflation then works its way through the whole system. I mean, that's what happened 50 years ago when the jobless rate got this low. But it's not happening now, even though we have a strong job market. Wages are barely up. That's not all. The Labor Department is supposed to be tied, uh, the Labor Department's supposed to, be tied to, to our gross domestic product. When our GDP is decelerating, as it is right now, usually that's pretty bad for jobs. We're now in a bizarre situation where the unemployment rate says the Fed should raise interest rates. But GDP growth says the Fed should cut interest rates like it did earlier this week. Why do I bring this up? Because there are a ton of commentators who act like economics is a hard science. And they throw you off the scent of making money in the stock market. Now, these people roll out discredited theories from 40 years ago to come up with arguments about what the Fed's going to do next or should do next. You see, that's no longer how it works. Orthodox economics has only led us astray. Fortunately, Fed Chief J. Powell seems to realize that. He knows that we're in, in uncharted waters here. He has no idea whether he'll need to cut interest rates again because he needs to see the data as it comes in before he makes the call or, or keep them uh, just steady. And anybody who tells you otherwise is just wrong. They're making stuff up. Powell gets it because he's been burned by economics before. Remember, a year ago, he was talking about three more rate hikes all because the orthodoxy says you need to tighten when unemployment is low. Turns out the orthodoxy was dead wrong. He had to reassess the situation, and then he cut three times. Cut when he thought he'd raise. Cut three. Don't you think it's harder to have been more wrong than that, frankly? Don't you think you'd lose your job if you were that wrong? For whatever reason, economics doesn't seem to have much predictive power in this, in this environment anymore. And relying on these theories has become a fool's game. I think Powell understands that the industrial economy needs help, even as the much larger consumer economy is humming along just fine. He's broken from the orthodoxy, and I salute him for that. See, I'm a company-by-company guy. With the exception of Honeywell and United Technologies, do you know that I can't think of any industrials that are doing really well? They're either being hindered by the trade war or hobbled by a strong dollar. And the dollar's strong because our rates are too high versus the rest of the world. That's why it made so much sense for the Fed to cut on Wednesday and why they might need to keep cutting down the road. Now, every time the Fed eases, you hear from these self-appointed experts who tell us that low rates are about to settle a ruinous bout of inflation. These people have been wrong for the last decade. Every single time. But they still cling to the same doctrinaire attitude. And by the way, they act as if they've been right. But the relationship between unemployment and inflation, is it broke down, right? I, mean, I think it's because we have so many deflationary forces in this new economy. With Walmart and Amazon and the cloud-based software companies driving down prices daily, the Fed has a lot more leeway to cut rates. If they can boost employment and GDP growth without causing inflation, well, that's what they should do. There's no downside. I know what the textbooks say. Those textbooks are obviously and empirically wrong. It is time to put them and their believers out to pasture. Stick with prayer. Remember I told you earlier this week that there are a bunch of hedge fund managers who come on. They tell you how horrible the market's going to be and how it's going to all go bad and you'll not make any money. And they think they're doing the right thing. Well, you know what? It's days like today that remind you that you can make money in individual stocks. And The people who try to talk you out of it, the people who tell you to be incredibly cautious, maybe they're wrong. I mean, think about all the money that's been made here and be grateful. Be grateful for the companies that have helped you do it. I know a lot of people say it was the Fed. Don't forget the companies and the CEOs. They do it, too. Like I said, there's always a more market summer. I promise Try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Caron, and I will see you Monday!